chapter six part two section two of a defence of idealism by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter six the new realism part two section two now it may turn out that there is no such thing as spirit or that if there is it cannot play the all-embracing part assigned to it but anyhow hegel's assumption of spirit made all the difference to the successful working of his dialectic whereas his followers distrust the dialectic and their tendency has been to drop it and to drop the assumption in the interests of what they believe to be a sounder logic and it is at least a question whether their logic though far simpler is really sounder hegel's thought relations by whatever unsafe a priori process he arrived at them really did relate because they are themselves related because they are moments in the manifestation of spirit links between its immanent and transcendent life his followers have turned them into logical abstractions and abstractions are hard unyielding things unsuited to the rhythmic and elastic play of spirit and so having stopped short where the hegelian plot is thinnest though hegel's logic is still considerably thicker than say mr bradley's they fall an easy prey to any philosophy that takes account of such things as nature and life and will and sense and passion and moral behaviour the organic whole is not a whole and cannot by any manipulation of the terms be made to do duty for the whole their internal relations are so far from being internal that at the first touch of analysis they seem to fall away from the things they are supposed to constitute or at any rate to hold together their unity is not a real unity for the simple reason that the supreme and ultimate form of it their absolute is not a real absolute as abstractions thought relations are specially vulnerable to analytic logic which can be trusted to produce off its own bat as many more as may be wanted and to deal with them after their kind when the monist asserts that all relations are grounded in the nature of their terms he starts with a rash generalization and when he stakes all his hopes of his absolute on the dilemma of the infinite regress which ensues his absolute is in a perilous state the position is attackable from above and from below you have only got to show him one relation equally abstract which is not grounded in the nature of its terms and you have mined the very foundations of his dilemma or if he takes his stand on a relation that is so grounded then with the first step of his regress he is again in the thin air of abstraction and the superstructure of his dilemma is exposed to any opponent who presses on his attention some irreducibly uncontradictious definition of the terms thus the ingenious analyst has him either way for it is clear that if the relation is grounded in the terms and the terms are irreducible the relation itself is irreducible while if the relation is not grounded in its terms it is irreducible to begin with and this irreducibility of the whole complex holds up his regress at the start yet so far is monism from being vanquished that this game of abstractions has one great and glorious advantage for the monist two can play at it 
and as we shall see it is a game at which ultimately the realist stands to lose that both sides are dealing in abstractions is evident from the realist theory of the monist theory of relation philosophers mr bertrand russell says and by philosophers i think he means monists seem really to assume though not so far as i know explicitly that relations never have more than two terms and even such relations they reduce by force or guile to predication mathematicians on the other hand almost invariably speak of relations of many terms and mr russell both assumes quite explicitly and argues that a relation of many terms is incompatible with any monistic theory of relation you would have thought that the wider and more complex the ramification of any one relation and the more terms you could rope into it the more unity would triumph but no you have only to abstract your mind from the relation and fasten it on the terms to see at once that it is pluralism that scores and so it does if you have given into the proposition that a relation can exist apart from and independently of its terms and when the realist has shown that this separateness and independence is found in the most intimate and sacred of all relations the relation of subject and predicate the conclusion is apparently forced on you that the game of monistic idealism is up idealism seeking unity before all things is supposed to have assumed faithfulness in the union of subject and predicate realism on the lookout for plurality finds on the contrary that subjects are polygamous and have many predicates while there never was a predicate yet that could remain faithful to one subject for very long the rose is red but so is the dawn and so is bardolph's nose and unless you adopt the realistic theory of universals you are in danger of arguing that the nose and the rose are not red because redness is not a rose nor a nose in short the relations of most subjects and most predicates are temporary and fortuitous and their behaviour from the point of view of monism and monogamy an open scandal therefore the pluralist argues you had much better agree with him that relations are irreducible and independent entities and that so are their terms but there is no reason why monism should be assumed as banking on the permanence of these unions except on the further assumption that it stands or falls by the theory of internal relations if the relation of subject and predicate is grounded in their nature clearly the relation must be permanent subjects and predicates must not chop and change now though the statements of certain monists may have given some grounds for the assumption it is not justified by monism itself monism does not stand or fall by the doctrine of internal relations it stands or falls by the dilemma that is to say it stands or falls by the dilemma involved in the opposite theory the realistic theory of external relations or rather by the dilemma inherent in the very idea of the thing and its relations no predicament short of the double dilemma will really serve given the double dilemma you are confronted with the plain illusion of all relative existence in chapter two page twenty one of mr bradley's appearance and reality you will find mr russell's argument against the doctrine of internal relations turned in precisely the same way with precisely the same plausibility against the doctrine of external relations thus even at this apparently profitless game of abstractions the monist scores 
seeing that the double dilemma so advantageous to him is disastrous to his opponent for realism stands or falls by its freedom from dilemmas and from contradictions so what are we to say when on one page of the principia mathematica we read the whole doctrine of subject and predicate is radically false and must be abandoned and on another page in that chapter four to which the context refers us for the definition of thing every term which is here equivalent to every thing to begin with is a logical subject again every term is immutable and indestructible what a term is it is and no change can be conceived in it which would not destroy its identity and make it another term so that as some terms on mr russell's admission are also predicates every term must be what it isn't contrary to the definition if a monist had made a statement like that he would never have heard the last of it and there is no reason why he should not have made it since the contradiction involved would help him rather than not but it is very far from helping mr russell and if we go on we shall find him involved in contradictions that would make the fortune of a monist thus he says we shall say that socrates is human is a proposition having only one term of the remaining components of the proposition one is a verb the other is a predicate it is implied then that a predicate is not a term yet in the preceding paragraph terms are divided into things and concepts and concepts into adjectives or predicates and relations or verbs there may be terms that are not predicates but how on earth can there be any predicate that is not a term predicates then he says are concepts other than verbs which occur in propositions having only one term or subject for if two terms were allowed in subject predicate propositions there would be unity in difference therefore contrary to the definition it is not to be again he says when a man occurs in a proposition for example i met a man in the street the proposition is not about the concept a man but about something quite different some actual biped denoted by the concept thus concepts of this kind have meaning in a non-psychological sense and in this sense when we say this is a man we are making a proposition in which a concept is in some sense attached to what is not a concept End of quote. we are that is to say involved in what on a theory of immutable and indestructible terms is a contradiction but it is not a contradiction on any other theory but after all the analyst has some uneasiness about this most crucial question of the subject predicate relation if we were right he says in holding that socrates is human is a proposition having only one term the is in this proposition cannot express a relation in the ordinary sense in fact subject predicate propositions are distinguished by just this non-relational character you see the realist's implacable hostility to the subject predicate relation just because in it there lurks a secret danger to his pluralism still mr russell is a most honest and honourable logician and he owns very handsomely that nevertheless a relation between socrates and humanity is certainly implied and it is very difficult to conceive the proposition as expressing no relation at all we may perhaps say that it is a relation although it is distinguished from other relations in that it does not permit itself to be regarded as an assertion concerning either of its terms indifferently but only as an assertion concerning the referent End quote 
that is to say humanity is not exemplified in socrates otherwise it would be implicated as a term but it is so hard to know says mr russell what is known by relation that the whole question is in danger of becoming purely verbal hard indeed if you are a pluralistic realist bent on eliminating unity at all costs one more admission of the analyst apropos this time of organic unities the existence of which he strenuously denies it is said says mr russell that analysis is falsification that the complex is not equivalent to the sum of its constituents and is changed when it is analyzed into these in this doctrine there is a measure of truth when what is to be analyzed is a unity a proposition has a certain indefinable unity in virtue of which it is an assertion and this is so completely lost by analysis that no enunciation of constituents will restore it even though itself be mentioned as a constituent there is it must be confessed a grave logical difficulty in this fact for it is difficult not to believe that a whole must be constituted by its constituents he comforts himself with the reflection that for us however it is sufficient to observe that all unities are propositions or propositional functions and that consequently nothing that exists is a unity it is the monist may observe not sufficient for him and he would point out that the consequence is not so rigorous as mr russell seems to think also i think he would suggest that the whole question of how knowledge is possible hangs on this admitted unity of the proposition and propositional function how does the amazing multiplicity of the real outside universe get itself expressed in propositions or in propositional functions if in that universe there is no unity to correspond if the pluralist is allowed to assume that every logical atom discoverable by his atomistic logic tallies with or constitutes an atom there why may not the monist just as well assume his logical unity to be there also and to the whole atomistic critique he may reply all this is mere analysis and you yourself admit that analysis of a whole is in some measure falsification is it likely then that after the damage you have inflicted on my universe i shall not hold you tight to that admission and to all that it implies if the parts of the whole are really its parts if they are as you admit presupposed in it in a sense in which it is not presupposed in them for i grant you that in a sense the whole is a new thing though not that it is ever a new single term except provisionally as part or as one of many aggregates in a larger whole then the relation of the whole to its parts will still be more intimate more vital than anything that analysis can show and it is precisely this intimacy and vitality that analysis destroys and surely it is this intimacy and vitality that logic itself discerns and acknowledges when it is driven to the conclusion that in the last analysis the analysis of collections when the whole is only completely specified by its parts the relation is peculiar and undefinable so peculiar and undefinable that when the precious collection consists of but a single term we are still compelled to think of that term as contained in a whole does it not look as if the whole were as necessary to the part as the parts are to the whole as for your arguments drawn from multiple relations from propositions containing many more terms than two and from many subjects with one predicate and many predicates with one subject 
i do not see that they necessarily make more for your ultimate pluralism than for my ultimate monism i am not obliged to look for my unity anywhere short of the absolute therefore it really does not matter to me how many terms a proposition contains nor how you distribute and arrange the relations of subject and predicate analytic logic then has not entirely smashed up even his system of abstract thought relations but supposing that it had the monist's only legitimate concern is not abstract relativity but concrete relatedness the bare fact that the universe is contextual that all things in it that is to say all things within the range of immediate perception and of logical induction and deduction are in some way connected interdependent and related his claim that each is related to the absolute in one way the way of the appearance to the reality is a just claim the further claim that they should all be related to each other in one way is the suicidal mania of monism it is to ignore their place in the relation it is to tear them from the context in which they appear and are known in which we are obliged to perceive them and to think them it is to isolate them and thus turn them into abstractions which at once become the prey of analytic logic for every abstraction set up within the sphere of the related is a little tin-pot absolute the monist is even worse off with his claim that every lesser whole should have the clear illuminating penetrating truthful quality of the whole for this is to create a series of little tin-can holes which are none the less isolated and none the less abstract for being set up inside the relation nevertheless since two can play at this game it is with a plurality of such little tin-pot absolutes and such little tin-can holes that the new realism builds up its universe or to be strictly correct it is such a universe of little tin-can holes and little tin-pot absolutes that it claims to have discovered now there is no reason why the monist when he is not a subjective idealist should not take a hand in this game of discovery too there is in fact every reason why he should claim to have discovered for his part a universe where nothing is isolated nothing is absolute and where nothing is contingent and conditional that is not related in some way to something other than itself he would do well to accept and acknowledge the frank plurality of such a universe instead of patching up little unities and wholenesses inside it where unity and wholeness are not and creating little infinite regressions and supererogatory dilemmas for himself as he goes along then in the face of the infinite regression the endless chain of contingencies that he finds and does not create he has every reason to plead that in such a universe there is no moment of self-subsistence that it escapes from moment to moment the diamond net of thought that terms should be every bit as dependent on relations as relations are on terms and that this relativity is proved rather than disproved by the pluralist's ability to play ducks and drakes with subjects and predicates he will maintain that this is a purely spectacular universe in the sense that it has every appearance of being an appearance rather than a spontaneous and automatic reality that in short its relativity cries aloud for the absolute and its multiplicity for unity he will define his rich and concrete absolute as that which is not related to anything other than itself such an absolute can only not enter into relations because it is all relations and all terms and is more than the sum of all terms and all relations 
only such a whole is absolute and only such an absolute is the whole thought is perhaps the thinnest and the poorest predicate of this ding an sich it is quite clear that such an absolute escapes the net of thought by so much as it is more than thought realists will of course deride the suggestion that it escapes the net of analytic logic by so much for in one sense it does not escape logic can dislocate and lay out in fragments the whole world of its appearances and i confess i do not see how the monist is to stick it together again with thought relations or to round it up into one whole of thought he cannot conjure the universe out of such feeble propositions as that thought is unity and unity is thought or that absolute spirit is thought because thought thinks it for on the same showing a pluralistic universe would be a universe of thought the monist's only chance is to abandon his epistemology even if the alternative has to bear the dreadful and dishonoured name of spiritualism End of chapter 6, part 2, recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.